We're going to uh, continue this new series that we sort of started last week that's called Life Hacks. And uh, so hopefully you've got your teaching notes in Connect News. You can grab those so you can jot things down throughout the message and uh, you can open your Bibles up to Proverbs chapter 3 because that's where we're going to go in a few minutes. When we think about life hacks, we kind of think about things that are fairly simple but end up making a really, really big difference. So if you think about life hacks in terms of DIY stuff or in terms of making furniture, you think about some really simple tips that really help to make a big difference and help you to uh, do those things more efficiently. If you think about life hacks in terms of cleaning, they're really simple things. It's like, oh, I would never have thought of doing it that way that help things to be more efficient. If you think about life hacks in terms of studying or in terms of work stuff, uh, again, it's this idea of being able to do something that seems really, really simple and obvious, but when you embrace it, it actually ends up making a really huge difference. And so we're going to unpack some of the life hacks that we discover in the book of Proverbs. And so uh, Proverbs are really just short, wise sayings. So when we think about Proverbs, we think about obviously the Proverbs that we have in the Bible, but we also think about Chinese Proverbs, or we think about Proverbs that come from other cultures. But always it's this idea of just a really simple, short saying that contains a lot of wisdom for us. And the Proverbs that we have in the Bible, uh, the majority of them were written by King Solomon, who's widely recognised as one of the wisest people who ever lived. And so the understanding is that most of these Proverbs were probably written around 950 BC, and all of the Proverbs were then collated by someone uh, probably during the 7th century. But it's pretty amazing to think that all of these things that were written 2,700 years ago are still really relevant to us. And there's all of this wisdom that through generation after generation, culture after culture, in all sorts of different ways, continues to speak to us, I think is pretty amazing. I mentioned last week that the Proverbs were kind of originally written as a bit of a handbook or a guidebook for parents to be able to raise their kids. So the idea was that parents would go through these wise sayings with their kids as they were growing up to help them understand, again, about how to live life the best way possible. But what we do need to understand about them is that they are a set of guidelines, not a set of formulas. And the easiest way to think about that is that Proverbs are not like a token that we can then go and exchange and guarantee that we're going to get something in return. Another way that we can think about it is that they're principles that we apply rather than promises that we claim. And that's really important because if we see these as a series of promises that are if-then statements, if you do this, then you're guaranteed to, do, to get this, then uh, we will obviously see that they don't work all of the time. But when we understand that they're principles for us to adopt and apply in our lives, we can understand that actually they make a whole lot of sense. And the importance of application is really key when we talk about Proverbs. I mentioned this last week. The difference between wisdom and knowledge is all about application. The wisdom is about taking these sayings and thinking about how do I apply these principles in my life in this specific situation, as opposed to knowledge, which is just, oh, that sounds like a really good idea, that's really interesting, and now I've learned something. It's a very big difference whether we apply it or not. And the key focus throughout the book of Proverbs is this idea of someone who is a wise person, who takes all of this wisdom and applies it in their lives, and someone who is a fool, who doesn't take the wisdom and apply it. And in particular, there's this narrative that kind of flows throughout the book about the idea of two women, one called wisdom and one called folly, who we can choose to pursue a relationship with. And if we choose to pursue a relationship with wisdom, then that takes us down a certain road. If we choose to pursue a relationship with folly, then that takes us down a certain road as well. 
But at the end of the day, all of it is about saying, how do we adopt these principles so that we can live life the way that God created us to live? That we understand, as we touched on last week, that all wisdom ultimately comes from God and that all wisdom is about us understanding this is how God made us. This is how God wants us to be able to live our lives that reflects who he is and what he wants for us as we live life together. So today, our first life hack that we're going to look at is this idea of what it means to trust God. So this is a very simple statement when you think about it and something that we probably say a lot, but when you dig into it, it's actually extremely complex. What does it really mean to trust God? What does that mean? What does that look like? And this is an important question because we talk a lot about the idea of faith. And whenever we talk about faith, we are talking about the idea of trust. And so today we're going to unpack what that looks like by looking at some verses that are probably very familiar to many of us. So Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 5. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom, but instead fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you'll have healing for your body and strength for your bones. So Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6 are some of the most beloved Bible verses. Many of you have probably memorised that at different times or had that written up somewhere as a life verse for you that you see as really, really important. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Now, the word trust that's at the beginning of verse 5 is actually, in its original context, uh, talking about the idea of lying down on something. So the best way to understand this is to think about a bed. And the word trust is used to be able to say, when we lie down on a bed, we trust that it's going to hold us. We trust that it's going to support us. We trust that it's going to keep our weight, even though we put all of ourselves on it, and that ultimately we're going to be able to rest on that bed. That's what the concept of trust is, which is a really, really helpful image. Trusting in God means being able to lie down on God, putting our full weight on God, and to be able to say we trust that God is going to support us. We trust that God is going to hold us. We trust that we can rest in God. And we're told that we need to do that with all of our heart. And so that means with everything, completely, without exception. And we've talked before about whenever we read about the idea of the heart in the Bible, it's talking about the idea of motivations, the very core of who we are. So we don't just trust in God with our choices, with our actions or with our words, but the very depths of who we are, the very motives, the reasons why we do things need to reflect this trust in God. And so this is contrasted, and this is what happens in a lot of the Proverbs. There's two types of Proverbs. One is one statement followed up by another statement that's the same to reinforce it. And at other times, there's a statement and then the opposite of that. And so this is one of those with the opposite. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. And so this is where, again, this bed image is really, really helpful. To think about the idea of saying God is the master craftsman and makes this amazing, incredible bed for us to be able to lie on that we know is going to support us. Relying on our own understanding is kind of like us putting our own bed together. And this is not the idea of like an Ikea bed that's flat packed and we can kind of have some sense of confidence that it's going to hold us up, although even contrasting an Ikea bed with a master craftsman's bed is probably helpful. This is more saying... 
Where's some wood? I'll just grab these bits of wood and uh, I'll stick it together with some tape. (laughs) But this idea of just saying, I'm going to patch something together, which when I go to lie down on it, I'm probably not going to have the same level of confidence that it's going to hold me up. I'm not going to be able to rest in that anywhere near as easily. That's the challenge. Which bed do we want to lie on? Do we want to trust in God or do we want to trust in our own understanding? And when we recognise that at the end of the day, our wisdom and understanding is kind of a bit rickety and a bit patched together, that then helps us to throw ourselves on God and say, God, I passionately want more of your wisdom and more of your understanding in my life rather than relying on myself. Well, verse 6 then continues and says, seek God's will in all that you do. And this can be a little bit complicated to say, okay, so this idea of trusting in God means I need to seek God in everything that I do. So does that mean when I get up in the morning, I have to seek God in terms of which pants I should put on? Or I should seek God in terms of what I should have for breakfast? Or I'm taking the dog for a walk. God, which way do you want me to take the dog today? Do I need to go this way or this way? Sometimes we can get a bit wrapped up, obviously not quite as silly as that, but in some of the thoughts about, oh, I have to seek God in everything that I do. The message translation of this is actually really helpful. It says, listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. And I think that's a helpful idea of what this idea of seeking God looks like. It's saying, do I stop long enough every day, throughout the day, to hear God's voice and to hear what it is that God has to say to me? Another way of being able to think about this might be to say, when I am thinking about a decision that I've got to make, where do I turn first? Do I turn to God first and say, God, speak your wisdom into me? Do I rely on my own understanding? Or do I even turn to other people and say, you tell me what I should do? Where do I turn first when I've got decisions to make? We're also told in verse 7 that trusting the Lord means to fear the Lord. And this is a phrase that's used throughout the Old Testament that, again, we have to be really, really careful about how we approach. Because when we think about the word fear, we generally think about the idea of being scared of something. And that's the picture that we can sometimes have of God, and I think that's the picture that a lot of people have of God. This big, scary, grumpy grandpa that's up in the sky ready to give you a clip around the ears if you mess up at all. I better fear. <laughs> We've all probably had relationships like that where we're a little bit in fear about messing up. That's not what's meant here. When we read these words, fear the Lord, it's really talking about the idea of reverential awe or a sense of childlike wonder and reverence. It's this idea of being able to stop long enough to recognise that God is different to us, that God is the creator of the universe, and yet God also knows each one of us intimately. The recognition that God is love. Not God is loving, but the very heart and character of God is love. When we stop and understand what God is like, it kind of takes our breath away. It's like, wow, God's so amazing. That's what the idea of fearing the Lord is supposed to be all about. So it's not this idea of being scared of God, but this idea of holding him in the highest regard possible and then again, reanalyzing everything around that. So when we get to verse 8, we then see why it's important to talk about this idea of principles that we apply rather than promises that we claim. Because we're told that if we trust God, do all of those things that we've just talked about, lie down on God, seek God, not rely on our own understanding, fear God in the sense of having awe for God, then we will receive healing for our body and strength for our bones. 
And I know that the majority of us would say, well, that's not something that I experience on a regular basis, that my whole body is completely healed and my bones feel really, really strong and powerful. I trust God. How come I'm not receiving this? This is why it's also important to not just take it out the words that are there, but to understand what's really being said behind it. This is not actually about physical healing, but it's about wholeness. This idea of saying that we'll receive healing for our body and strength for our bones is saying outside and in. Everything will be connected and we'll experience a sense of wholeness that God's got for us. We'll experience a sense of peace, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, this sense of being able to thrive and live the way that God wants us to live, even if our bodies don't feel like they're 100%. So practically speaking, when we move into verse 9, we're then given a bit more advice about what that looks like. Verse 9 says, Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. So when we talk about the idea of honouring God, we're really talking about the question of are we putting God first? In everything that we do, are we putting God first? Are we giving God our best or are we giving God our leftovers? Now this is again where we have to be really careful about principle rather than promise because this verse and some others that are like it have been used to tell people if you give lots of money to God, generally if you give money to the church, then that means that God will give you lots of money in return. There's a whole school of theology that's based around that, which is not terribly helpful. This is not what this is about at all. It is a principle for us to apply in our lives, to say, as I think about all of the things that I've got in my life, and not just my money, but my time, my possessions, my relationships, the priorities that I set, as I think about all of those things, Am I putting God first in all of those things? Am I honouring God with the choices that I make about my whole life? Because when I do, I recognise that God will look after me. God will take care of me. And I think it's appropriate that we have shared some of Ash and Susan's journey today because I think back to uh, when I first met them a few years ago and the reality of them making the choice to pack up and leave India to leave behind really, really good jobs, to leave behind a really nice house, great cars, their whole life was fully established, and to pack up and say, God, we trust that you're leading us and that you want us to move to Australia and effectively to start again. And I have seen them over and over again through the last number of years putting these principles into place and being able to say, even when they didn't have very much when they first got here, how do we honour God with all that we have How do we show generosity even with the little bit that we've got? And now it's awesome to be able to celebrate with them the ways in which God has provided for them in so many different ways, in terms of employment, in terms of housing, in terms of this new baby that's on the way. It's really, really amazing to be able to celebrate what it looks like to live out this idea of trusting God and honouring God with everything and to see God be able to provide. That's what's being talked about here, to say, do I trust God with every part of my life Am I willing to honour God with every part of my life and in doing so trust that he will take care of me, he will look after me? 
It's also important to just touch briefly here on a principle that is talked about a lot in the Old Testament that people sometimes get a little bit confused about, which is the principle of tithing. So in the Old Testament, there was a principle that was there which the people who were reading this would have been very, very familiar with, which was the idea that in terms of this honouring God with all that I've got, you would give the first 10% of whatever it was that you produced to God. So if you grew crops, you would give the first 10% to God. If you had livestock, you would give the first 10% to God. And you would primarily do that through the temple system. And so this was a part of the life of the Israelite people where it was understood that honouring God means giving the first 10% of what I've got over to God. And so many of us have adopted that principle in our life in terms of what giving looks like, that we've said, I'm going to give the first 10% of my income uh, to the church as an offering and as my tithe. But it's really important for us to be reminded that we don't live in the Old Testament. We live in New Testament times on the other side of Jesus. And Jesus comes to say, I give myself fully for you. I give every part of who I am as a sacrifice for you. And in actual fact, what God asks for us from us in return is to give everything back to him. And so we don't live in a time when we say, well, 10% is kind of where we look at what we need to do as our requirements. We say, actually, everything that I have, all of my finances, all of my possessions, all of my time, all of it is God's. And the mindset that we can adopt in that is, isn't it great that God lets me keep some of it? Because ultimately I've given it all back to him and isn't it awesome that God allows me to keep some of it in my life for the things that I want to be able to do. Trusting God means honouring God with everything that we've got and putting it all before God and saying it's all yours and help me understand what it is that you want me to do with it. Well, Verse 11 then reminds us that this isn't just about what happens in the good times. We're also reminded about what it looks like to trust God when things aren't going so well. Verse 11 says, My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. So we're told here that trusting God also means that we need to allow God to discipline us, but to remind ourselves that that ultimately is all about love. And it's a really important distinction here to talk about the difference between discipline and punishment. And I would say the major difference between discipline and punishment is simply love. The punishment at the end of the day is you messed up, there's a consequence of that, and here's the price that you need to pay. End of story. You need to be punished because you made a mistake. Discipline is very much about saying, I want you to be the best that you can be. And I know that these choices that you're making or these decisions that you're making are not aligned with the best version of you. And so I want to help you to be better. And so because of that, there might be consequences that are still involved in it, but the motivation behind it is completely different. It's not just about retribution, you need to pay the price. It is about saying, how do you be the best version of who you are? And in actual fact, to not discipline a child is to not really love a child. All of us have probably seen kids at different times who have not necessarily been disciplined and we know what that looks like. (laughs) Far from turning out to be the best version of what they are, (laughs) that generally is not the case. And so not helping them to understand how do you be the best that you can be, which involves discipline, is not a loving thing to do. If we love someone, we want to discipline them. We want them to become the very best they can be. So when we come back to this idea of trusting God, 
we want to recognise that all of us do that imperfectly. None of us that I'm aware of, and if you do, then congratulations, well done. Um, But I don't think any of us really trust God 100% of the time. All of us at different times struggle in all sorts of different ways. And what we're being reminded of here is in those times where we don't trust God, where we forget to trust God, or where we choose to chase after other things, God will discipline us. God will correct us, but it's only ever out of a sense of love. And so what's our response when we do mess up? Do we respond with a sense of fear and defensiveness because we're worried that we're going to get punished? Do we respond with a sense of guilt and get trapped in that thinking? Or do we come to God openly and say, I know that I messed up. I know that I'm not living the way that you want me to. Help me to understand what that looks like and to accept his discipline and correction in our lives. So there's a lot to unpack through all of that. And so I want to give us some time to be able to reflect on what this might mean for each one of us as we sit here this morning. So we're going to use this reflection question, how would I describe my trust relationship with God? As I sit here this morning, what words would I use to be able to describe my trust relationship with God? And just to recap some of the things that we've talked about, it might be helpful for you to be able to dig into a bit. You might like to think about that metaphor of a bed and say, how much am I lying down on God's bed and how much am I relying on my own bed? Or did I start out where God's bed was really great and it was very stable, but over the last little while maybe I've decided to do some amendments to the bed and some of my own work on the bed and now it's starting to feel a little bit rickety and a bit wobbly. I'm starting to trust myself or starting to trust other people more than I trust God. So the bed metaphor might be helpful for you. For some of us, it might be helpful to say, how often do I turn to God first? When I'm making decisions, what is the process that I go through? And how much do I stop and get God's perspective in the midst of the things that I'm doing throughout the week? How much do I turn to myself first? How much do I turn to other people first? How much do I turn to God first? For some of us, it could be about this question of what it means to honour God with everything that we've got. It might even be helpful to think back over the last week or think back over the last few weeks and be able to say, what are the examples that I've got of when I've put God first in my finances, in my possessions, in my time, in my relationships? And what are the times when I know, if I'm honest with myself, I probably haven't put God first and I've put other things first instead? For some of us, it could be about this idea of trusting in God's discipline and being challenged about what it looks like to embrace God's correction in our lives, to stop and think about how I do respond when I make mistakes, when I do mess up. Is my response to come to God and say, help me to be able to do better, or do I respond with a sense of fear that God might be just looking to give me a clip around the ears and to punish me? There's plenty of things to be able to unpack there, and so I want to give you a couple of minutes to be able to jot some thoughts down or turn to the person next to you and uh, have a little bit of a chat about that. So take some time to reflect about what it looks like for you to trust God, and then we'll come back and pray and transition to communion.
Let's pray. God, we thank you that we can trust you, that what we know of your character as we look at your heart and your motivation throughout history, as we read the stories of your interactions with humanity through the Bible, we know that we can trust you and that as we're going to focus on in a couple of moments as we gather around the communion table, that Jesus, you come to show us ultimately how much we can trust in you. We're really grateful that we don't have to question that, that we know that it's guaranteed. But at the same time, all of us struggle at different times with what it means to actively trust you and to apply this idea of trusting you in our lives. You know that our heart's desire, each one of us that are here today, is that we want to have that experience of being able to lie down and to completely trust that you will support us, that you will hold us, that you will allow us to be able to rest. Each of us yearn for that type of life where we know that we trust you enough that we experience a sense of your wholeness and a sense of your peace. But we also make mistakes, we also get distracted, we focus on other things. And so we pray that as we head out into this week, that you would continue to challenge us about what it means to be able to trust you in every area of our lives, to be able to put you first, to be able to turn to you first, and to be able to experience the life that you've got for us. We pray that as we move through this week, that we would have experiences of being able to recognise those moments where we have shown our trust in you, those moments where we can recognise this is an example of me honouring you but also that in those moments where we turn in other directions, where we try to rely on ourselves or on other people, where we choose to embrace selfish ways instead of embracing what you've got for us, that you would come alongside of us and that you would gently, lovingly correct us and help us to grow into the people that you want us to be. So we thank you that we do all of this in the freedom that comes from knowing that we are a part of your family, that you do love us as we are, We don't try and trust you so that we can prove ourselves to you in the hope that you might one day accept us, but rather in the freedom of knowing we are accepted and we are embraced. We know that we can then explore what it means to trust you day by day. In your name we pray. Amen.